Hi everyone, welcome back to Reload Podcast. We've now hit peak millennial because this is episode number 30. So every week is a new baby announcement or wedding and the hangovers last for days. Welcome to your 30s. Yeah. I'll not imagine what decade I'm in then. <laughs> well, I can fully attest to when I hit 30, hangovers seem to draw out a bit more. Yeah, uh, you have to plan your drinking on your, day, your next day, basically. Yeah, or else it's a complete write-off. <laughs> Pretty much. So I think we have a good episode lined up again today. Um, Nigel has some rallying to talk about for us later on. But, I'll uh, just call it Killer Bees is the title. Killer Bees, Killer bees. I like it. Um, but we'll start off with the usual what's new. So Connor, what's new with you? We've actually made more progress on the workshop, or the new garage build, I should say. Um, things that's kind of been on hold over winter, weather, weather kind of beat us for a while there with the ground works. So I took some time off work last week, and I got the the drainage, gullies, sewer pipes all fitted around the back of it, down the side, all ran out the front, the ducting for the cables and the water into the new garage from the house, and underground ducting up to the old workshop get power back in there so we can actually start working on cars again which is good um <laughs> still need to run the cables our friend dan nelson he'll be coming out soon to do that for us which will be good but um we also got the stone the stone built up to the correct height for the base for the concrete so it was all go for a few days i was absolutely busted from doing a bit of manual labor <laughs> and oh dear connor you all right did you sit down for a few days yeah. blisters on his wee soft office hands and all now <laughs> i actually did have to um i've seen the time like that like as little as two or three years ago that would have been no problem for me and that was pretty much my job and now i'm just old and decrepit time catches up with you my friend believe it does me. indeed so does food food catches <laughs> up too um yeah so that was good it was a bit of a boost to get that done um next move will be pour the base pour the footpath and get the garage up itself so we have a couple of grand left to save up in the next what month or two Lee, anyway and try and head it hard but no it's moving in the right direction Con um, what sort of concrete are you putting in? Just like any sort of reinforced, no, or just uh, uh, running 30, thirty-five newton. So it's like, right. uh, well, I suppose it's all structural, but it's pretty strong stuff. Um, I'm debating whether to throw a bit of mesh in where the ramp is going, or dig it down deeper. Yeah, um, I'm reluctant to throw the mesh in simply because when you start to drill in for the ramp, in case you hit it, you know the steel, yeah. <laughs> and you end up like trying to move holes and just sort of gets messy so i might just drop the actual concrete depth at that area another two inches or so and that should do it okay what what, what depth do you need for ramp bolts six inches six inches if i do two inches more that'll be eight inches under the ramp so it should be more than enough anyway another fun part of that job then we did was we managed to dig through the main sewer from the house so we had to repair that which was uh a fun and somewhat <laughs> shitty job. It was quite, in fact, a shit show. It was a shit show. <laughs> and I watched it happen and I could have stabbed myself in the face. But yeah, it was unavoidable to be fair, but yeah, it was done then. So yeah, that, that's about Good. as much as I've done. When do you reckon you'll get the concrete pour? To be honest, we could do the concrete now if we really wanted to, but I want to kind of wait until we have the money for it and the guards with... Build it as you can. Yeah, these uncertain times, as they say. Yeah. I don't, I'm afraid to give anybody a deposit for something and then maybe shit goes sideways and go under or something. So we'll just sort of hold off until we can do it as quick as possible, which is probably a bit of paranoia playing in, but sure, better safe than sorry. Oh, good. I'd be surprised if it's not up 
what the start of summer. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so. so. Then we can start moving stuff. You're coming in the prime erection season, as they say. It's prime erection season all the time. <laughs> well, it's, we're actually recording it, Valentine's it Day, Valentine's so it is prime erection well. season. <laughs> a young man of my youth, you know, it's always season. Um, yeah, that, that's a bit of it for me. Uh, Nigel, what about yourself? Uh, just a couple of things. I have a card trailer. I bought a really good one about two years ago, and... Um, I've I've used it about six or seven times basically because I still haven't got my track car going. I've borrowed it more than I've used it. Um, <laughs> and the, the last the last time I used it, um, I was taking my brother's Mark One XR Two up to his shed in uh, Waringstown, and I noticed the rear one of the rear brakes was sticking. Didn't think it was a big deal, and then I used it one more time for a job, um, and it was becoming it was just like it was like biting really badly every so often uh-huh. so as i do i didn't as you do you know typical nigel i didn't look near it again after i'd done that job and then a friend of mine was looking at trailer he is darren actually he has a mark ii golf limited yep if you don't know what that is look it up it's like pretty damn rare the holy grail um, of mark twos he's taking it to get some uh chassis work done and he needed a good trailer. And I said, you can borrow my trailer, but the brakes are sticking on it. And then my good friend Andy Maxwell messaged me and said, look, bring it up. We'll have a look at it. And if you know car trailers, proper car trailers, when anything goes wrong in them, it's always expensive. Oh, that bodes well for us. (laughs) I uh, left it up to Andy and he phoned me then. I think I was in work one night and he says, yeah, your rear shoes are scrap." And you'll need some new cables. Now, there's four cables in this car trailer, uh, four shoes, four drums. And he said, P.S., this could get expensive. So I immediately Googled, and brake shoes are expensive in trailers. <laughs> so they are. So, uh, yeah. So you got the old it, wallet ripped? Yeah, it wasn't a bill I was expecting, but it's a trailer I want to have for a very long time. So, And I don't particularly want my friend's Golf Limited Ending up in a shock because the brakes decide to lock up suddenly one day. Also um, true, yeah. So uh, invest the money on something that you want to keep good. So Andy fixed all that there and yeah, got that fixed. I'm actually going to put a new center runner board in it now after, so it's spot on now. There's no problems with it. It'd be interesting to write off a 70 grand Mark II for the set of, for the price <laughs> of a pair of brakes. Jeez, wasn't it? <laughs> See, that's what I didn't realize until I started Googling. Like, you know, car transporters, they don't share components with any any cars. It's all, there's only three or four companies, Andy was saying, that make the, the parts. Um, so they have the monopoly so, on the price? Yeah. I it was expensive, but it wasn't, you know, the end of the world. Like As you say, there was an investment in the actual trailer itself. The, another expensive thing in them trailers is the tires because they're load rated and yeah. small. But thankfully, my tires are 100%, so... That's one bill I won't have to worry about. Did you find yourself uh, gaining any new friends when you got your new trailer? Oh, I was very careful in who I told I had a trailer. Well, you just told everybody <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I'm selling it next week. Don't worry. <laughs> the old friend magnet. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't mind as long as I don't break it. You know. No, that's it. that's the main thing. Another wee thing: just the Mark Six GDH is running. Trumpet sound. Very nice. It's r- it's running and it's running well. If you've been sort of listening over the last couple of episodes about a, a Mark Six GTI with uh, engine chain failure, got a new engine, 
and it's running. Just have to do a few more um, snag lists and uh, we'll be good. Congratulations. I bet that was fun to do. Yep. Bet on. It's actually yeah, very good. interesting. Nice, I was. So. That's all that's new with me. So it is, I'm afraid. What about you, Lee? All quiet? Sweet FA. I'm afraid. Pretty standard. Work, work, work. <laughs> work, work, work. Uh, just to finish up then, before we move on to the news, uh, with two announcements, we had our recent lockdown logs on Instagram Live. Nigel, you did that one with John LaGrange. Yep. You interviewed John. He's a... Chat. So- South African import, John. He is indeed, yes. That's he is, yep. he is locally known. And he has quite a good history of cars. It was good chatting to him. Again, thanks very much, John, for coming on and sharing your uh, collection and your projects. Yeah. It's good chat. It's it's hard to beat a B5S4, especially in Nogo Blue. Yeah, it's definitely one of the favourites in the country, like, for mm-hmm. sure. I actually forgot when he put the, he swung around onto the two Mark IIs. I forgot that he had those as well. I know he said it was sort of a long-term project, but I've got that long-term, I forgot about them. But the one with the VR6 is not far away from being completed, like. No. That would, that would. I was going to say that'll do my head in, but I have an addition one sitting in the shade for twelve years now. <laughs> yes, I was going to say I have a few sitting like aren't too far away. We'll just say the term pot kettle and move on. Yeah, pretty much. It's a standard <laughs> for ourselves. Um, and then just to finish up, we have the face-off announcement, which actually will have been announced now. By the time this goes out, it'll be a few yeah. days ahead of date. But who was the winner of that, Nigel? Just there, it was just put it on a line there now, and it was Ronan Hickey and his Mark II R32 Turbo. And it, I, I couldn't believe the response we got to that wee competition. We had um, last 16 uh, quarterfinal, semifinal, and we had the final over the last 24 hours. And I think there was probably about 10,000 votes in total over the last two weeks. Well, that's impressive. So, wow. Yeah. So uh, very impressed with that now. So was, yeah. thank you for everybody taking part. And uh, on the back of that there... We're very, very close. In fact, we'll probably take over the Magic 1000 followers mark tonight. Happy and, days. Uh, so thank you for everybody that's following us. I think our meme game, str- game is strong on the stories, Connor. It definitely I think is. that's a big factor. <laughs> yeah, people enjoy yeah. the memes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. If you aren't following us already, give us a follow. I don't know what it does, but it's cool to see a thousand people <laughs> follow. <laughs> we, uh, we, we get a lot of stick for being very... Um, Vag and Volkswagen heavy, but we had we had a lot of non Volkswagens. Um, we had two Jap cars, if I remember right. We had Richie Brown's S fourteen, and Dar- we had Dar's three hundred three fifty. Oh, actually, with with three then because with Tom Kennedy's and, uh, Tom. and we had uh, Buster's yep. Kia and Buster's Kia. There you go, four. Yeah, well, I was both well Korean, close enough. That's a that's a quarter of the entries. Exactly. Yeah. So there you go. We're not that Volkswagen heavy. Although it did come down to battle of the transatlantic scene queens at the end it with really the two did. Volkswagens, <laughs> Raf and uh, Ronan. So it was a close fought battle. Why, why didn't Why didn't we title that final like that? <laughs> Bat- the battle of the transatlantic scene queens. Well, it's close enough. That's what happens when you get constant abuse from them. You have to give it back. And what was it they won then, Nigel? Uh, Reload Goodie Pack. So we'll get a Track Rat t-shirt, uh, one of the 8380 poster designs. So stock dependent, like, and a few other wee bits and bobs. So I'll message Ronan here shortly and get it sent out to him. And with Brexit, it'll probably arrive in 2023. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be probably quicker to give it to him in person. <laughs> I'll drive down. Uh, yeah. Probably cheaper as well. I know you're talking. Now you get fined now for going across the border if you if it's not a... 
good enough reason. What have you had? De- uh, essential deliveries. What essential a, deliveries. What have you had a woman on the inside line who does runs around the country <laughs> legally? <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, dear. Very good. Shall we move on then to the news proper? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think we've got quite a lot of news, haven't we? Yeah, there's a lot been going on. As I said last week, it's uh, started late this year and it's really ramped up. I think the uh, the first one I have here then is no real surprise, but it's become official now, is the Weather Sea Show has been cancelled for 2021. So anyone who listens and doesn't know what it is, it's basically the mecca for Volkswagen fans. It's set in around Lake Wuthersea in Austria. It's a week, unofficially two-week-long uh, takeover of a town, lake. It's just absolutely insane. You have massive Volkswagen involvement in it, which when corporate things get involved in things, it kind of, it's, it can be a bit odd. It kind of feels like your dad turns up at the party, but they really go all out and push the boat out. They build like concept cars just to unveil at it. The only way you could really describe it is like car show, town takeover, music festival, all kind of rolled into one. Lee and I were at it in 2011, was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And it's just absolutely nuts. So it didn't run last year. And once again, it's not going to run this year. Which is quite a pity, but when you consider the amount of people that it does draw in over so long of a period, it's not surprising either. That really would be termed as a mass gathering, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Like, I I don't know what the numbers are that go through the town. It'd be well into the tens of thousands. Like, it's it's absolutely nuts. And it got that big that people started going, like, a week before the show officially and a week after the show. So it just spreads out. It's just absolutely nuts. Off the back of that then, a few shows then that are running, Eurotripper was running this weekend when we're recording and this broke my heart because Lee and I were supposed to be there. So fair play to Paul Barney for putting that on. And Vag for York and Vags for Maine in the States are running this year again. We have nothing official for over here, Nigel, have we yet? Nothing yet, nothing yet. Nothing but it's yet. in the pipeline. It's in yep. the pipeline. So hopefully it'll give us something all to rally towards in the near future. We will have shows this year, don't worry. That's good. In some shape or form. There'll be something happening. Just a quick story about a big auction that happened in Paris on the 5th of February. It's the Art Curial auction. Um, it was basically, there's a lot of cars sold at it, but the main focus of the auction and the press was X Group B cars up for auction. Um, some of them proper Group P cars and some of them road going versions. It was basically by two collectors. One of them was the... He was the editor of some modern magazine, I forget what it was, and then an ex-works team boss. Just mental amounts of money. An RS2000 made €320,000, Peugeot T16, an Evolution 2, so the proper last of the last Group B cars, Uh (laughs) €820,000. Lancia Delta S4, proper rally car, €680,000. Well, there was a Lancia 037, made €460,000, but what stole the show was Last of the Line, Audi Quattro S1, Evo 2. That's a 1986 car. Made 1. Million euro. One, 1. Million. <laughs> <laughs> 1. 1. 1.7 million euro. Holy shit. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't see this auction now, but are those cars, have they been like restored? Or are they are they in the sort of finish they were when they were rallied? You know, were they beat up? Or what's the story with them? I didn't go into too much detail, but they looked very, very presentable. So I'd say they were, they're probably original rally cars that have been restored. To, uh, the Quattro looked brand new. Yeah. So it so. always sort of baffles me, you know, do they want more for them with battle scarred or do they want them sort of tarted up? Because if you tart them up, it's not really the same. It is the same car, but not 
the same. As it was. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the guys, they're toys for a lot of the rich rich and famous, or the rich enthusiasts, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, a large majority of them will just be pushed from warehouse to warehouse, to showroom to showroom. But there is guys who are genuine enthusiasts, and they'll take them to Goodwood, they'll take them to rally events, and they'll enjoy them. But Aye. that is a minority. It's good to see that, though, too. You know, like, obviously, who am I to say what somebody spends their money on and what to do with it? But if you're going to spend that on those cars with such a rich history and actually being driven hard and getting to see them back out again, it's nice to see. It's, it's one of my favourite parts of the Goodwood Festival of Speed when you see the Group B cars ripping up and down. Yeah, it is, because no, they, they, awesome. they are brought out to that, which is good to see. And the noise. The noise is unreal. <sighs> Just <laughs> lovely. Um, I mentioned earlier on there about the, the fines for going across the border. Another uh, piece of news was actually last week now. It came out just as our last episode was was coming out about the new fines and points for mobile phone use in Northern Ireland. So it's now gone from a £60 fine to 200 It was three points. It's now up to six for using your phone while driving. So it's harsh, but it brings it in line with the rest of the UK because they were already there. And uh, yeah, I think it's fair enough because don't be a dick, basically. I did notice the actual title for the offence is misuse of a mobile phone, not talking on the phone, you know, or making a call or anything. So I assume this is to cover kind of social media use, texting, if you're watching YouTube. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder, is it a case, is this aimed at young people? And I don't know if the rest of the UK is like this, but in Northern Ireland, when you pass your test, you're only allowed to accumulate six points on your license instead of 12. Yeah. So in your first two years, if you're some kid that's Facebooking going down the road and gets caught, you've automatically lost your license. Yeah. So yeah, it could be aimed at them, yeah. Yeah, I wonder, Probably. is it sort of pushed towards that? You know, that's, that's wiping them out off or, the road. Or it could be like three points isn't a big deal, whereas six points... You know, make you think twice. Also true, yeah. You know, I, touch wood, I have not had points in a while. If you do get three points, it's a shitter, but like it's not the end of the world. If you yeah. get six, you're kind of on edge. So yeah, there is that too. I, I, three points, you report that their insurance company is not a big deal, but if you inform them of six points, I would say that would be a different matter. Yeah, and if they say it's for using a mobile phone as well, they're not going to be impressed. Serious news harsh, from ourselves for once. Harsh but fair, as they say. Harsh it is indeed. Fair. I was yeah, nearly but- killed... Um, couple of weeks ago when I went to lift those wheels that I bought for the Bora and when I say nearly killed I'm not being dramatic I pulled out onto a main road there was a car coming towards me and as it got towards me like closer and closer it veered onto my side of the road to the point where it was like more than halfway into my lane and very very close and I started blowing the horn flashing the lights and at the last second whipped back across now I don't think it was someone acting like a dick I think it was potentially either someone fell asleep or was more than likely using a mobile in that situation mm. and i've had a few scares i've had scares on the bikes before and things like that but this is like the one in a long time that really put the shit up me if it takes assholes they got off the road happy days have you ever been behind somebody on a main road or a motorway and they've been on their mobile phone and you're watching them from behind it almost looks like they're drunk oh yeah yeah like crossing the line and like whipping back real quickly it, it's it's scary to watch do you want to go for another one nigel yeah, just a quick one. I noticed this week at one of the big Jap auctions, toot toot, all, abo- all aboard the JDM hype train. Twin cam went for auction, not just any twin cam. It was a Torino 
black limited, which I think they are the run out model, Connor. Like they're really super limited black and gold themed ones. I wouldn't know, but there's a guest we have lined up in the next, well, whatever lockdown restrictions lift will be able to tell us all about them, but I'm not 100% sure on them. Well, it made 50000 at the latest auction there. So I remember 50, those things 000, being $50,000, like, but that's near the same now anyway these days. Yeah, it's, it's over forty grand in our money. Like, I, I remember those things being like two grand. The JDM market now, it's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's craziness. So it is. Yeah, you look at the likes of the R32s and R33s climbing money for the 25-year rule for allowing them to import into America. And I kind of thought maybe it was just... You know, because they didn't get those models, but like they got, they got Torinos and things. They got an A eighty sixes. The major factor is well, there's major two factors. It's scarcity because most of them are have rotted out now. Yeah, and then as you say, it's the American twenty five year rule. Every year that clicks forward, it means another model or year of models available to import into America. Yeah, look at the amount of if you if you follow um, Open Air Imports or Open Air Nick on Instagram, he's importing a lot of Mark threes into the states now. Right-hand drive, like, 16 valves that they didn't get over there and synchros from Europe. And, like, the price seems climbing here because of it, but that's yeah. supply and demand, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, absolutely. Absolutely. My next one, then, is about Tesla. And it's not the usual slobbering about Tesla. It's actually a, a, a bit of a thinker, this one. So, have you heard of the Tesla yoke? Yes. Have you heard of it, Nigel? No, I haven't, no. She's so some yoke, so she's she some is. Yolk. <laughs> she's no egg, but she's some yoke. <laughs> and it's also no steering wheel. Tesla released a steering wheel and in typical Tesla fashion couldn't do the norm and they've released it called a yoke which I can only really describe as like a U-shaped steering wheel. If you imagine like a three bar steering wheel and you cut the top half of the wheel off that's kind of what it looks like and it's caused a lot of confusion around the world between motor and authorities. I remember back in the Max Power days you used to be able to buy this steering wheel it was like an X shape and the two sides had your grips, but there was nothing above and below. Doesn't the DeLorean and Back to the Future have something like this? I'm not sure. It's not like a full wheel, it's like two sides. It looks like a games console uh, thing. Well, that's, this was like an aftermarket wheel like that, back in the Max Power days, and people were getting fined for it and it wouldn't pass MOT. But Department for Transport in the UK have actually stated then when questioned about it that the regulations regarding the steering equipment does not stipulate any shape or size for the steering wheel. So obviously this goes in Tesla's favour because they're not going to overrule it. But they did go on to say that if it did cause any issues that there would have to be a recall to be fitted with a proper wheel. Surely it has to be a wheel. It has to be a wheel. Yeah, a round. It has round. to be round, a full circle. But Like how are you supposed to do that? Because you're not supposed to lift your hands. You're supposed to keep them in the 10 and 2 position and feed the wheel. How can you feed the wheel when half the wheel isn't there? The only way you could really do that is in the likes of a Formula 1 car with a quick rack where it's like 90 degrees is full lock to the right and 90 is full lock to the left. Yeah. But like you're, you couldn't have that in a road car. Imagine trying to parallel park or something. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be too sensitive. You had like a, you know, a pothole or a flood yeah. water, that kind of thing. Um, however, in the States then, it's not as clear. So over there, they have the... National Highway Transport Safety Administration, and they have stated, at the time, we cannot determine if the steering wheel meets federal motor and vehicle safety standards. We'll be reaching out to the automaker for more information. So it'd be interesting if uh, here it's fine, but in Tesla's own home country, they'd outlaw it. But I, I just, I don't see why they're doing this. Like, just put a proper just wheel on Just to be different. It. Yeah. Because they have to be. Well, it wouldn't be the well, first te- time. Te- te- Tesla's like Apple, it's all about the hype, so. Yeah. I suppose any publicity is good publicity. But do you imagine, like, if you hit flood water and it pulls the wheel out of your hand, 
at that point, you're either going to be grabbing a bit of wheel or you're going to be grabbing thin air. And I know I'd rather be grabbing wheel. Yeah. Sure, it's a Tesla, it'll be driving you. Oh, well, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> and then when you crash, it's your fault anyway. But here, we're not yet talking Tesla, it's okay. We're fine. No. I did stipulate Stay this. On. Stay on. And another one for myself, and just a very quick one, a follow-up from the last episode. We talked about the catalytic converters getting stolen across Republic of Ireland. The Garda have actually done a raid on a yard and seized 110 cats in East Meath. Was, uh, I read this, yep. Yeah, so it's obviously a, a sprawling problem. And they, I think it seized €27,000 and £55,000 in cash. Sounds like a real legitimate fellow that was doing that. It does, yeah. Maybe he's just paranoid at the banks and wants to keep it himself. Do you think there was any caravans parked nearby? I couldn't imagine so. I don't know what you're getting at there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's obviously, it's an issue that is, like the media is not blown out of proportion if that's the case of what they're finding there. And me, there isn't a kick in the ass off Dublin, which is where it's a lot of the gangs. It's not a kick in the ass off here either. It's also not, yeah, but it's a lot of where a lot of the gangs are operating out of, so mm. it just goes to show what's happening. Want to go there, Nigel? Yeah, my last story is the influencer gate that happened. Um, the start of, what date would it have been? 8th of February, Chris Harris put out a tweet. An influencer just offered my pal at Litchfield Motorsport the chance for him to put suspension on his Yaris GR for free and pay him 25k for the privilege plus a percentage of future sales of the suspension. He knows who he is. Might tell you his name one day. Shameful. Basically, Chris Harris is good friends with a guy that owns Litchfield Motorsport. And GTR legends. Yeah. They're, they're developing the Yaris GR as... Uh, you know, tuning potential and all the rest of it. And as Chris Harris said, he actually, Litchfield came on Chris Harris' podcast and was talking about it. And they were approached for, by a third party on behalf of a YouTube, YouTuber. And basically, those are the terms. There was speculation for days, denial. Uh, I think Shmee was one of the first to deny it. Um, but there's heavy speculation. It's uh, Mr. JWW. That's allegedly... So, uh, I think he actually yeah. came out and said that it wasn't him that contacted him directly as well. I think, wasn't that what happened? Yeah, well, who I, was it then? Exactly. <laughs> I, um, he's, he's the man that's just bought a Yaris project. There's definitely a bit of beef there between a few of those guys because they're all sort of ratting each other right to saying, Oh, you yeah. stole my idea or this or that. And you, I, I can understand, like, this is how these guys make money, it is marketing. But imagine having the balls to approach someone and say, Develop suspension for my car for free. Plus, you pay me for the privilege of doing it, and I but, get a cut of your sales. But I think it's it's important to point out that it was the agent or the management company. So they're probably just putting a. If you listen to Harris's podcast, they're probably putting out a, you know, a, they're like agents of footballers. They're out for as much as they can get because they're working in percentages. Yeah, they're going to be ruthless. So, yeah, there's that element of influencers, but the. On the podcast, he pointed it out. There's many influencers that Litchfield work with, and they're 100. percent And this is one of the most outrageous things they've they've came across in recent years. So it, it um, is weird. I've I've done a stint in sales, and in sales, you want to build up a relationship with customers, especially if you haven't done anything with them before. You know, you you want to go maybe buy some of their products, try and get in with them, speak to them. And as I say, build a relationship with them to come out of the blue and hit them with something like that, which is absolutely ridiculous, is just going to alienate people. And like, yeah, you know, whether it's someone directly or if it's an agent or not, what the hell were they thinking? Like, it's just absolutely nuts. Yeah, I can't imagine ever getting on like that. You know, not not that anyone's ever going to. Well, I I was approached 
uh, to sponsor to run sponsor products on the Mark Three, and I didn't like the products, so I turned it down. Mm-hmm. But like, no one's ever going to approach us and go here. There's twenty five grand and some suspension for you, kind of thing. But you know, it's not <laughs> but, in our realm know, at all. If they do, my Instagram is at VDubboy. Feel free to you know offer me twenty five grand. That's fine. You know. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> like, you're not going to mislead anybody. There will be a fantastic product. You can predict that. <laughs> <laughs> anything we talk about on here you know whoever sponsor reload global the clothing brand you know we have talked to other people on the podcast anyone we do have on or mention is stuff that we've either used witnessed you know you don't want to try and mislead anybody and when you get into like paid product placement for things it is it kind of gets very very murky because you don't know like we know that anything we recommend is legit or that, that we feel it is but at the same yeah. time, when you have just some randomer with a million followers and he's telling you, yeah, buy this, you know, where do you, where do you stand Chris with Har- Chris Harris put it very well. He, he said, you're not given your opinion on the product. You're given your opinion because they paid you 25 grand to say this product's great. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're no better than doing a paid advertisement on TV, just no, an actor. No. This is why I can never do sales. You're too honest. I'd be like, that's shite, don't buy it. <laughs> See, what, when, when I worked in sales, I, that actually went to my advantage. And like, I can't do the cheesy, hard sell, you know, no, I'm pushing things. I hate that shit. And I would tell people, people would say to me, oh, would you want to buy this? And I'd be like, no, that is absolute shit. I would rather not sell you it. Either don't buy it or buy this. But yeah, honestly, don't buy that. And it wouldn't have been the, the company line. But it won me a lot of favors with a lot of customers who would actually ring you about stuff and ask you, you know, because they, they wanted you to be honest with them. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Definitely, for sure. When I did do a brief stint with sales where we were doing sales related stuff, it was the tactic was good, better, best. But in real life, it was shit, less shit, and okay. (laughs) (laughs) So all go for best, is that what you're saying? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) I I must have missed that speech by Gary V. Leo, sort you out. Leo, tell you the ways of the world. Okay, just to finish up the news then, my last one. Honda have actually released a crate engine. Over here, with what's fast and loud, you know, any of the American TV shows are building hot rods and all you hear is about crate motors this, crate motors that. Usually what you're imagining is some sort of big V8. It arrives, Dodge Hellcat engine, a Boss 302. They slap it under a frame. It all comes pre-wired. The looms are, you know, it's set up like a factory car and plug and play. And Honda have actually jumped into the market for this. So... As of May this year, they're now offering the latest Type R engine. So that's the 2-litre turbo from the turbo. new Type R, which is absolutely horrendous looking, but goes very well. The Transformer Civic. Exactly, yeah. It's a, it's a rough look. It's it's rough to lay the eyes on. Um, different, different horses for different courses, or what is the saying? I retarded don't horses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this K20C1 says the 2-litre turbo pushing out in the region of 310 horsepower, and... You get the long block, alternator, starter, turbo, and for a bit extra, you can get the ECU and the loom, so it all just plug and, plug and play, and it's $9,000, which works out at six and a half grand normally. I know a boy down the road will get your front clip for less than that. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be good to kneecapped as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it sounds like a lot of money, and then when you actually look at it and what it is, you think of some of the conversions that we do, you'll pay, what, £1,500 for a second-hand R32 engine? You still have to convert all your looms. You have to pay to get that done. You're dealing with an engine that you have no history. You don't know what it's running like. This is a brand new engine. You know, 
if Volkswagen were offering something like this at six and a half grand, when you weigh up, like, say, a 3.2 would be a similar horsepower, and what you would have to do to pull it out of the car, there's not a whole lot of difference for a brand new engine. Oh, you'd buy the new one, for sure. Yeah, like, it, it might cost you £1,500 more, but you have a brand new engine, and it's plug and play. And in this case as well, you know, you're starting with 300 horsepower, a simple map on it, and everything is, like... You're not having to go aftermarket turbos. Everything runs reliable as come out of the factory. And I assume there's some kind of warranty on it and stuff as well, which... Yeah, which you'll avoid straight away by doing the uh, the map on it. Which well, be great. yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> you can just take it back off. What was that company we talked about a few months back that got in trouble about the clips? Oh, I can't remember now, but yeah. That was... Yeah, in the States, bringing stuff from Japan. Yeah, at least you're avoiding that kind of... Yeah, you're dodginess. Not, you're not ending up with some poor fuckers front end in the, the car. Name, I forget the name of that company now. Yeah, <laughs> story on. I'm just wondering why why is Honda doing that? Is it for the motorsport element, or is it just they've produced too many, or they can't sell them, or what? I really don't know. They're they're being released through the it's, Honda it's strange for a manufacturer to do that. Like, yeah, um, I think it's good. You know, and oh, I absolutely. They're releasing Imagine an EG Civic with that engine on. Well, that's what I was going to say. You take like the older, again, like the Volkswagen stuff. You're taking the newer stuff and slopping it into the old lighter cars, and an EG Civic, an EF Civic, a CRX Mantle. with 300 horsepower, unbelievable Crazy. and absolute factory reliability. How could you beat yep. it? Perfect. If if it goes well, like I think they're restricted the the run to 96 units, if I remember right. But like if that goes well, they'll obviously do it again, and then. Or other manufacturers, other manufacturers going to look at this and go, "Hey, why don't we do this?" So if Volkswagen run that, I'm all for it. Yeah, Type R engines everywhere. Yep, and <laughs> into the Mark Three. Volkswagen won't do it. Ah, they will. They're going too far in the wrong direction, I'm afraid. They'll send you a, a motor for your Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Supercharger Dyson. That us for the news then. Mm-hmm. Yep. All good. Nigel, you're our resident YouTube person. Anything for us this week? No. No? <laughs> Nothing. Well, that is an absolute disgrace because we have it a birthday. It is disgrace. It is the 16th. Today is the 16th birthday of YouTube. Oh, right, okay. Happy birthday, yeah. YouTube. So it's the first, uh, I think it's the anniversary of the first uh, video when it was launched onto the platform. And I would say it's probably in the last 10 years for automotive um, stuff really taken off. Maybe 12. You had the old Wagonworks videos was big in the Volkswagen scene. You know, and that really personally, obviously, I love bass more locally too. And like, there's so many across the globe are doing, and it's got to stage now where it's nearly replaced TV, especially in our lives, and, yeah. and more so with you, Nigel. Yeah. So no, it probably it's, take, it, YouTube probably takes up of all the TV I watch, and I don't get a lot of time to watch it these days. But I would say it's probably a good forty to fifty percent of TV time. Yeah, and like sixteen years isn't a long time in the grand scheme of things. You know, for something like that to go from absolutely nothing to replacing something like TV, which was around for 50 years before it. So it's ironic that we don't have any YouTube this week. Well, I have a non-YouTube YouTube. A, a TV YouTube? A TV YouTube. <laughs> no, because, you know, me and YouTube, it's not really one of my big things. Um, but I did watch a Colin McRae documentary on Amazon Prime. It was Colin McRae Rally Legend, I think it was yeah, called. It was really good. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Have you seen it, Nigel? 
Yeah, yeah. It's quite an old documentary. I think it was made like oh seven, like the year that he passed away. It was it was yeah. just that time. I think it was one of the last things he did. Yeah, yeah. But it, uh, it was it really good. Me if, it wouldn't surprise me if Duke Motorsport had something to do with that. Well, it was it was Duke video. That's who it was. Funny. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Lee and I had the credits come up, and I noticed it and started to laugh. And I was like, "Do you remember the Duke videos? You used to go into Halfords. Oh. You're buying your air filter for your one liter Corsa, and there in the stands, you know, at the desk was." All the Duke, like probably used to do loads of motorbike here. stuff and all too. And let's I do like an them. age check. Let's do an age check here. Who has heard of the Havoc films? No, no. Havoc Five, Havoc Six. All it's basically compilation VHSs of car crashes and motorsport. No, I haven't seen those. I'm sure oh, R- Richie Brian will be all over that. Seeing the seeing the nineties, they were big, big business like. And were they the same sort of thing? Yeah, was their brand the Havoc brand? Yep. Duke might have had something to do with them, not a hundred percent sure. Like they were they were a popular series. And YouTube definitely killed that off. Yeah, for sure. You know, now you just find them all on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. Who's gonna go into the shop and buy a DVD when you can just watch it for free? I used to rent them out of the library. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Our school library had loads of like car videos and stuff and I used to rent them and watch them. Well your librarian was cool. Like an absolute loser, but hey. No, but you could you could walk in you could walk into a library. I think he still can. Oh, you don't have that book ordered in. So you could do the same with CDs. My brother used to go in the library and order CDs and then go take them home and copy them. Oh, he definitely didn't do that. Definitely not. <laughs> sorry, sorry, he listened to them for a week and then returned them without copying them. Copied them with his ears. <laughs> <laughs> Learned the words, that's what he does. That's it. Oh, well. Uh, okay, well, shall we move on then to our main topic? Yep. Nigel, what have you got for us? Right, so this week my topic is called Killer Bees. So we're talking about group the era of Group B rallying. This, for me, was... like I used to get taken to a lot of rallies with my dad th- through the 80s, and Group B was just a thing of myth and wonder. I got to see the Circuit Iron Rally, Ulster Rally, um, the Isle of Man Rally. You know, Group B was just like... Next, it was like Premier League versus Second Division football. You know, it's just a different level altogether. Yeah, which is saying something considering how massive rallying is in this country. But I remember, I think it was I was very young at the time. The odd rally you would have got manufacturers in Ireland bringing their Group B cars over for a bit of testing. So you would have seen them just you know out doing a bit of, on an event. So it was, I did get to hear and see them. Like so, it wasn't wasn't too bad that way. Group B is a very special thing to me. I'm sure it is to a lot of other people too. It was the pinnacle of rallying for a lot of people. Let's dive into it. Sounds good. Unprecedented levels of power, excitement and controversy. Group B rallying had it all. Many still look back on the Group B era as the golden age of rallying. Even 30 years after it was banned for power, excitement and controversy, it still takes some beating. Many of the Group B drivers have become legends and the cars retain a place in the hearts of fans, having enthralled a generation with their performance and pushed boundaries with their technology. Group B was a class where manufacturers allowed to go all out with almost unlimited power, crazy aerodynamics and new exotic materials. It brought about new tech like four-wheel drive, semi-automatic gearboxes, the PDK, its grander was basically made in the, in the Group B rally era. And also clever turbocharging systems, supercharging systems that went on to filter its way down into uh, mass production models. However, it was only for the bravest of drivers that the hugely powerful cars needed a lot of manhandling to thread them through the tight, twisty stages away from danger and a sea of spectators. Rallying went wild in the 80s as the FAA 
wanted to attract more manufacturers and so create a class that would give the designers pretty much free reign, no power limits, no regulations and boost, and whatever exotic materials you liked, Stroke could afford. So, uh, at the end of the 1979 season, the FAA met and they set about basically looking at their future how they're going to attract more manufacturers, fans, and competition. Because back then, F1 ruled the world, and they just tried to rejuvenate rally. Group B was introduced by the FAA in 1982 as a replacement for both Group 4, that was the modified Grand Touring, and Group 5, the Touring Prototypes cars. Group A referred to the production-derived vehicles limited in terms of power, weight, allowed technology, and overall cost. The base model had to be mass-produced, at a level of 5,000 a year and had to have four seats. Uh, Group A was aimed at ensuring a large number of privately owned entries in races. By contrast, Group B had few restrictions of technology, design, and the number of cars required for homologation to compete was 200, less than other series. Weight was kept as low as possible, high-tech materials were permitted, and there were no restrictions on boost resulting in the power output of the winning cars increasing from 250 break in 1981, the year before Group B rules were introduced, to there being at least two cars producing in an excess of 500 brake horsepower by 1986. So the final year, Group B in 86, they were running 500 brake, very, very light. In five years, they basically doubled the power output of rally cars. So we're rally cars now. What are they sitting? 300 or so. 300? Yeah. Yeah, and you imagine what your like your supercars back then were running. You know, would have been less than five hundred horsepower on the road, and they were seen as kind of like the pinnacle of engineering. Yeah, many look back at Group B now, and they sort of go, "That was the the NASA of motorsport at the time." They were going into new exotic materials like Kevlar, carbon fiber, anti lag was brought in, um, just new technologies being developed and produced. It was a really special time for motorsport. The category was aimed at car manufacturers by promising outright competition victories and the subsequent publicity opportunities without the need for an existing production model. So they had a few minimum uh, requirements. So they only had to have two seats side by side, no open roof, maximum tire width, a minimum weight via engine size plus force induction factor. They had very basic safety requirements. And then there was a thing called the Evo model. So say they wanted to completely revise the car, maybe in a season or two. Uh-huh. They, d- they didn't have to do a full build of another 200 cars to meet homologation. They only had to do 20, unlike Group A, which would require all 5,000 cars to be changed. So that attracted quite a lot of teams. Those homologation cars would be a lot more special then to the end user, but it's a pity they didn't have to make more, you know, because it'd be more for us at that end. Yeah, yeah. So what I want to do now is basically go over the cars I think were important, uh, the main cars that came into Group B. So I'll start off firstly by the Lancia 037. So Lancia in the 70s were very, very successful with Stratos and won many rallies and championships. Lancia in 1980 began development for the 037 and uh, won the launch in 1982. But behind the scenes, as... Audi came onto the scene with the Quattro in 1981. They began their four-wheel drive project. Their car was designed by a Barth and Pina Farini. You might know them guys. It was one of the last rear-wheel drive cars to win the WRC title in 1983. It's very competitive and very fast due to its absolute lightweight, insane power and very good drivability. But in the end, the traction of the Quattro, it ruled basically. Yeah, four-wheel drive came in and just dominated everything. 
the chassis was lightweight Kevlar with a steel frame, mid-engine two-liter four-cylinder supercharged to reduce turbo lag. It's two hundred and eighty brake, big wing to for the aero. Later in eighty three and eighty four, the Evo model uh, they increased the capacity to two point in two point one uh, three hundred twenty five brake. Still not competitive enough as the rest of the field as the rest of the field, but especially it struggled against the Quattro in certain surfaces. But just I'll just touch lightly on the season in 1983. There's a great video on, um, I think it was the Grand Tour, Clarkson done it. And it was the season uh, of 1983. It was Lancia versus Audi. Sorry, I'll go back a bit actually, because Lancia didn't do things by the book. And they sort of didn't have a massive budget. One of the funny stories watched on the Grand Tour sort of guide off it was, so homologation, the officials from the rallying WRC or whatever, FAA, had to come over to the factory and the manufacturer has to show the 200 cars that they've made for homologation. Yeah. So what Lancia had done was they had 100 cars sitting in a car park. There you go, guys. There's 100, the other 100 cars on the other side of the town, the other parking lot. No bother. They check around the cars, 100. Yes. Okay, let's go for a spot of lunch. Took them for a very, very long lunch with lots of wine. A liquid lunch. While they'd done that, Workers at the factory took the hundred cars over to the other place, so they'd only made a they'd only made a hundred, but the officials counted two hundred. I like so it. I love that, that. That gives you an idea how the Italian car manufacturer worked. So we should have worked that well, into our cheating and motorsport episodes. Yeah. So just to flick back again to nineteen eighty three, in charge of the team was Cesare Fiori, uh, a rather dashing look, looking fella. Uh, you might want to look him up, Lee. He's a good looking lad. Okay, he ran. He ran the. He ran the Lancia team. He he was going to win by hook or by crook. He was a very clever man, but he knew the legal cheats. Um, with a low budget and against Audi, who had a massive budget, he, one of his quote was, "You have to know the gray air, the gray areas of the motorsport to enable to win." Loopholes. Um, they're called loopholes. Perfectly legal. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lancia was very fast in tarmac, but loose services, ice and snow, they struggled badly. They won a lot of the tarmac stages, but in that year, the Monte Carlo rally was quite funny. They had members of their crew go out and ice corners of stages prior to the stage starting. The team manager got on to the local authorities and police saying, oh, there's a lot of spectators going on in that stage. It's very dangerous. You'll maybe have to salt that. So he had local authorities salting the road for them. On later stages then, Corsica, dusty roads, when a car left, there'd be a lot of dust so they couldn't see the stage properly. So at the start line, they pretended to have, you know, oh, my belt isn't on right, sorry, you can't stop the clock right, or the door wasn't shut. The officials soon caught on to that, but it didn't matter. In that last rally uh, in Corsica, Walter Roll, he absolutely blew everybody out of the field and helped Lancia win their last rally championship in 1983. So against all odds, they won it. So by 1984 then, they had uh, retired the 037 and they brought out the great Lancia Delta Integrale S4. My favourite. Yeah, just an absolute weapon. This time, four-wheel drive. The engine was mid-mounted. It was a 1.8 four-cylinder twin charge. So it had a supercharger combined with a turbocharger. Sorry, And when, when you say mid-mounted, as in it's still in the front, but it's behind the suspension turrets? Or was no, it actually it was, in the back? I think it's in the back. So, yeah, it was twin charge, so it had a supercharger and a turbocharger to reduce lag, and that meant it was very, very quick. Combined was very, very lightweight, and there was very, with regulations being so few and far between, if you look at some of the crash videos from when Lancia's crashed, 
their roll bars might not have been made out of steel. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of plastics used, put it that way. A few plumbing fittings. Yeah, but 500 brake horsepower, not the 16, 2.3 seconds. Mad box arches, wide wings, side intakes, big rear wings. It had mixed results. I think everybody in that era, by the end of the 85 and 86, the Peugeot just dominated, but it had mixed results. So then we'll move on to Ford's attempt. And this was sort of covered, uh, I think it was episode 12, we'd done cars that were never made. That's right, Something yeah. Something like that there. Um, RS2000, Ford missed the boat badly. They, they had the Escort, uh, Mark II Escort. It was near and end of life. They were developing a Mark III RS1700T. Meanwhile, Quattro came out with four-wheel drive, so that got scrapped. So the RS2000 was, or RS200 was developed, and it began developing in 1983, which is way behind development compared to other teams for four-wheel drive. When it eventually did arrive, it was released in 1986, the last year of the championship. It was a 1.8 turbo, 250 brake. Then it was a 2.5 with a T3 turbo dry sump, up to 500 brake, dual coilover setup. The body was clamshell made of Kevlar and carbon fibre. When it first landed, it handled absolutely brilliantly, but in the end, it didn't have enough power. And just as the band came in, their Evo model came through, just it was too little, too late. And the season, uh, Grip B was banned, so that was the, the road for it. Yep. Um, another car would be one that couldn't be forgot. It was the, the Rover Metro 6R4. Um, it was the Metro... The granny car of the 80s, basically. In the 80s, Rover Metro driving around Britain, you couldn't have seen, oh, I'm going to turn that into a rally car, but that's exactly what Rover done. They, they wanted to get in the action, and they went for their smallest car they could find and just shoehorned uh, Rover V8 into it. They went with that to avoid turbo lag and the the, the whole factor formula for all that sort of carry-on. They went for a straight, naturally aspirated car. There's no replacement for displacement. Yeah. Um, initially they went for a V6 Honda engine they scrapped that and went for their original 3.5 V8 they lopped two cylinders off the end to make it fit into the Metro just a mental machine it was a V6 4 valve 400 brake not the 16 3.2 seconds front mounted 4 wheel drive uh, again wide arch box arches aero lightweight body but it had serious engine issues over the years. It was rolled out in 85, and then a year later, the series got banned again. Have you ever see, heard of 6R4 going up the road at rallies or anything? No. Yeah, I've heard a few of them at um, Lurgan Park Rally, and like echoing just, through the trees and stuff is just unbelievable. There's nothing, like, there's nothing like it. You know that chassis number 001 resides in Northern Ireland? Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Is that Bickerstaff? Bickerstaff, indeed, yeah. I watched him detonate an engine in one of our track days about 15 years ago. What was he driving? The 6R4. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's had a few rebuilds over the years, even on the actual body itself. But, like, those guys arrived, still use that car. You know, they, they still use the tra- it properly. It arrived at the track day, and I think it got about three hours in, and then there was an oil leak. And he basically said, oh, well, there's another 15 grand. Yeah, British engineering, three hours is pretty good for it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be bad at that. It's value for money. It's funny, though, like... <laughs> You sort of think, yeah, Metro 6R4, and people haven't seen Metros really in years. There's not a whole lot of them around. But when you consider they are the size of a classic Mini, that's what they were based on. And then, It's absolutely insane. Yeah, it, it pretty much must have doubled the volume of the car. You know, the, the box arches, it's just fucking mental. We had a charity day down there, and you could 
pay money to go out for runs with Dennis. Uh huh. I have never felt la- lateral sideways is it, is it lateral sideways G in my balls. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's impressive. Go in that I- corner and you you find your eyes. It was hard to turn your eyes because you're being pulled by the G-force around the corner. It, I'm not joking. I, it was I've just never a, had a run on one, but I would absolutely love it. It was the it, funniest like. sensation. It was just madness. And the way it accelerated out of the corners is just insane. Yeah, because everything's mounted between the suspension turrets. So it's just center of gravity down low and in the middle. It's just going to handle so well. So moving on, let's move to France. Peugeot, they had the T-16. The T st- stood for turbo, the 16 stood for 16 valve. So Peugeot decided to use their little pocket rocket 205. Um, it debuted in 1984 and absolutely dominated. They got it completely right, straight out of the, the, the bag. I think it was John Todd, the Ferrari boss that was in charge of Peugeot back then. He developed the, that program, did he? I think he, well, he was I think he was maybe the boss when they did, did win the titles. They won the titles in 85 and 86. But yeah, so... It was mid-engine for weight distribution and traction, four-wheel drive, wide arch and wing to make the tires fit and all the rest of it. They had a design problem because they were trying to fit everything into the 205 and they had to keep it looking like a 205 to satisfy marketing Peugeot. You know, the race weekend sale on Monday or whatever is the same That's uh, race on Sunday, sale on Monday, which was the epitome of things back then. Like, Yeah, so... It was a battle between marketing and motorsport, basically, to retain its looks as a 205. Um, there was two variants, the Evo 1, that was 84 to 85, 2.5, 16-valve turbo, 350 brake. The next season then got a bigger turbo, power up to between 460 and 550 brake. Look, you see the size of 205, that is mental. Um, as I said, they dominated. They got titles in 85 and 86. They had 16 rally wins, uh, the most successful Group B rally car ever. So don't underestimate it. Everybody gets carried away by Audi, but don't underestimate how good the T16s were in the Group B era. Yeah, I kind of feel like they get overlooked. You know, they the yeah. two of their fans, but everybody kind of always focuses right towards the Audi. And I don't even think it's just because we're in that kind of, that community as well. Like, you know, people, like rally fans always sort of go towards it too, but the T16 was amazing. I've always had a soft spot for small Peugeots because a fella I knew grew, when I was growing up and sort of passed my test and all, he had 205 Rally, 106 Rally Phase 1, 106 Rally Phase 2, and they're just, they're a pedalhead's dream. They're just they're just built the purpose to go down a B road flat out. Yeah, they're quick and they handle so well. Yeah, so the only thing I'll say about them, the back end's a wee bit late. They're a bit like a Nova. So they yeah, are. they are. The, <laughs> the back end wants to come to the front end. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's uh, because Audi were like the pioneers of four-wheel drive, that that's why Audi are seen as like the big one from that era? Probably Do you think that. that's what yeah. it is? Not a marketing, I imagine, too. Yeah. Yeah, because... You imagine yeah, like they, they followed Quattro through with all the rest of their road models, where T16 wasn't used in anything else, yeah. you know, in Peugeot's road cars after that like it's hard one to call like it's see the, I'm going to move on to Quattro's here now the next sort of wee uh, car talk but you know they, they really dominated at the start of the 80s and I think that's where the the, the focus is but like Peugeot dominated 85, 86 so why isn't there such a big thing about it you know but then you could turn around and go right well they, they, they went on to dominate Pikes Peak they went into IMSA etc etc that's 
you know, everything fed off that quadro program and Dakar, the motorsport. Peugeot soon, are, soon after. were big players in Dakar and stuff as yeah. well. Like yeah. The, one of our listeners actually sent me, a, Jeremy, he sent me a link to the IMSA stuff for the Audis for the, the 90s as well. The stuff in that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. So I'll kick on the Audis then. Uh, 1979 in a in Germany, in the cover of Darkness, Audi were developing a four-wheel drive system. They believed that four-wheel drive is the future of uh, rallying. So they fitted... Uh, I think it was off one of their military jeeps. They sort of adapted it to one of their saloon cars, and they timed it, and they said, "Right, this is we we've got to make this work. This is potential." Um, but back then, four wheel drive was banned and FAA rules in rallying. So in a meeting in nineteen eighty, they brought it up at the meeting. Says, "Can we get this overturned?" And everybody sort of went, "Aye, whatever." Because back then, everybody thought it's impossible to put four wheel drive in a rally car. It's too heavy. It's, it's impractical. It'll not. You know, the, the effort isn't worth the, the the weight that it's going to put onto the car. Yeah. So shortly after, in 1980, the Audi Quattro was brought out. It absolutely dominated rallies, brought title after t- title by the bag full. 1981, Michelle Mouton won the championship, um, first woman to win the rally championships. Um, shortly after that then, they brought out their group, their group B car, which was the S1. So 1984 to 1985, it was a 2.4 five-cylinder turbo 20 valve, 450 brake. The Evo 2, which is the one that's just wingtastic, it was uh, 84 to 86. Power was up to 590 brake. But, <laughs> this is nearly 600 there. Yeah. Um, in the end, it was nose heavy, weight was an issue, steering was bad. And in them seasons, it just couldn't, it couldn't compete with other cars. It was just... So uh, others were lighter, faster, and drove better. They needed a new lightweight platform, but the ban came in, and that was the end of that, basically. There's a lot of money sunk into something for it to go bye-bye. Yeah. So just talking about dangerous cars, just going to talk basically about... There were many, many crashes. Several rally drivers lost their lives and lots of spectators. Uh, in the 84, 85 season, there were some very dangerous crashes, but... It was never banned. On the Lagoa Azul stage of the Portuguese rally in uh, 1986 near, uh, or 1985, near Sintra in the Portuguese rally, Portuguese national champion Joaquim Santos crested a race, turned to his, turning to his right to avoid a small group of spectators. This caused him to lose control of his RS2000. The car veered to the right and slid off the road into spectators. 31 people were injured and three were killed. All the top teams immediately pulled out of the rally and Group B was placed in, in jeopardy I think back then just reading a few bits and bobs that a lot of the teams wanted the minimum, minimum weight change because they couldn't make the cars safe enough and just there was a constant battle crashes but I think it was just ah it'll be alright sort of um, ethos and should it'll be grand yeah but I suppose if there's a minimum weight that they have to be you can kind of go well why not make the weight into the safety like the roll cage but then yeah. you're not going to do that if your mate that you're competing against isn't doing it either, you know, you want to be competitive too. Yeah. Disaster struck in early May at the Tour de Course. Uh, Lancia's Henry Teuvenen was the championship fav- favourite, and once the rally got underway, he was the pace setter. Seven kilometres in the 18th stage, Teuvenen's S4 
flew off the unguarded edge of a tight, tightening left-hand bend and plunged down a steep wooded hillside. The car landed inverted with the fuel tanks ruptured by the impact. There again, safety, the corners were cut that you didn't have a protected fuel tank. The accommodation of a red-hot turbocharger, Kevlar bodywork, ruptured the fuel tank, ignited the car and set fire to the dry undergrowth. Toivon and co-driver Sergio Cresto died in their seats. With no witness to the accident, it was impossible to determine what caused the crash, other than Toivonen had left the road at high speed. Some cite Toivonen's ill health at the time, um, others suggest mechanical failures or simply the difficulty of driving the car, although Toivonen had a career full of crashing out while leading rallies. Up until that stage, he was leading the rally by a large margin, with no other drivers challenging him. The crash came a year after Lancia driver Attilio Bitega had crashed and died in his 037. While that fatality was largely blamed on unforgiven Corsica scenery, Toivonen and Cresto's deaths combined with the Portuguese tragedy and televised accident of F1 driver Mark Sure in an Arsh 200, which killed co-driver Michael Wider, compelled the FAA ban Group B cars and immediately, immediately for 1987. How do you decide to, to quit Group B, B entirely after the Corsica rally? Just death after death, enough was enough. It's one thing that you do notice now with the WRC cars and even in the last, say, 20 years, when there is a big crash, you know, was it the Ford Focus, the Mark 1 Focus that uh, McRae crashed in? It's a really, really bad accident. And you look at it and like the back of the car is gone, the front of the car is gone, but the passenger cell is pretty much intact. You know, it's badly beat up, but the structure is held up. And that's one thing now that they do so well compared to back then, which has obviously saved a lot of lives. I think it's the only way they've got around continuing the motorsport because there was just too many people getting killed. Yeah, and um, especially they've had to draw. They've had to increase the safety and draw the power in because it just it was getting out of control. And it's something we've talked about before in the earlier episodes. And you know, you could go around in circles talking about it all day, saying that when you are competing, it's the old sign: motorsport is dangerous. You know, when you are competing. You do accept a certain risk, and especially there as a spectator, but to the average onlooker and people who, like mayors of towns who are putting on events and stuff, they don't want that bad publicity either, even though they understand that that's what can happen. I think the popularity was a big driver behind the continuation of it. It was just a victim of its own success, basically, you know. Nobody wanted to stop it. Um, It's a bit like motorbike road racing here. You know, there have been a few deaths, and... I don't really know how, but, you know, there haven't been that many, if any, uh, spectators killed in this long, long time when you consider the speeds they're doing past people who are standing on the edge of the road. But there's always, anytime someone's killed, there is cries for bandit and things, but it's such a popular thing with people. And even the Isle of Man, you know, even like the local priests out watching and cheering them on, it's it's ingrained in people, but someday it's going to die out. Yeah, so... That, that drew the conclusion to Group B rally car era. So many people asked what happened to the cars. Many went to non-homologation regulated private rallies, but the most of them went to Rallycross. Um, so you look at Rallycross from the late 80s, early 90s. It was 6R4s, RS200s, T16s, hill climbs. A lot of drivers used them in Lakes of Pike Peak. And as Lee says, the Peugeot went on to the Dakar rally. So... That's or they even went into private collections and then went to auctions there at the start of this. <laughs> the, the, as I was going to say, yeah, sort of brings you back to what you were talking about in the news. Yeah, it's unfortunate it got banned. It's, they could have made something absolutely spectacular, but it just got too dangerous. In the background, there was the new group that was meant to be developed, and it was Group S, 
And I think I covered in this in that uh, episode 12 about cars that never were. And, you know, there's a lot of cars that were special, were in the pipeline to be come out in the 87, 88 series of Group S. Um, for example, the Audi Coupe S prototype, mid-engined, 1,000 brake horsepower, Toyota, triple 2D. It was based in the MR2. Um, Two-liter turbo mid-engined. I think there's only one of them in existence. Didn't even get that far. The Lancia ECV, which was basically a very squat-looking S4, but just mental twin turbo, 600 brake horsepower. The RS200 Evo, as I said earlier on, it was six to 700 brake horsepower. And Lee, you'll like this. Did you ever hear about the Astra 4S, the Vauxhall Astra 4S? I don't know. No, I haven't even. It was the Group S development car. It was a 2.4 turbo four-wheel drive, 350 brake. It was meant to pop into Group S rallying eventually. Yes, please. They weren't showing any sign of letting up then. It sounds like some of the stuff that they were going to actually release then was going to totally eclipse Group B. You know, it was just going to get mental. Just more. Yeah, I think FAA just look went, look what's coming down the line here. Yeah, we better stop this right now. Where where does this stop? It's such a pity though, because I think that kind of competition that's what breeds innovation that's where all your innovations come from yeah and you're stifling it you know you know that that's real competition it's not like formula one everyone has the same engine let's all drive behind each other around a track as i've lamented at length before it's actually okay who can actually just build the best thing and go the fastest yeah just go for it yeah it was it boils down to it was proper motorsport and there was more of the driver's skill, especially so that because the cars were so dangerous to bloody drive. Yeah, I definitely don't think anybody will disagree with you on that statement. No, just to summarise then, just the last wee paragraph here. Even today, it's a deeply emotive topic. Another senior engineer from the period who wishes to reign in Manonis had, had this to say. The root of all evil was the weight classes. They were ridiculous. They bore no relation to building a safe car. You just can't, can't get a car down to 960 kilograms with turbochargers and all that tech and half safe cars. If it had been, say, 1180 kilograms and with certain rules and safety cells, it would have all been fine. Basically what could have been. Toxic, extremely flammable fuel, rules that allowed freedom but stipulated a little in safety, spectators who stood where they liked in their thousands, rallies many times longer than those of today, many things contributed to the demise of Group B. One thing is certain, we'll not see the like of it ever again. Yeah, definitely, there will be nothing like that ever again. Um, It's interesting to hear that's coming from an engineer who worked on them too, you know, obviously he's, he's even saying like this is ridiculous. Uh, where's it going to end? <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately it, it ended abruptly and it disappeared. The video takes from, if you look up Group B, the thing you'll take from it is, well, a few things you'll take from, the noise, the speed, and the spectators at the side of the road touching the cars. Like, my dad's friend, he used to do, uh, he works for DGM Motorsport and carried off, and in the years gone by, he would have been in the sort of national stage and all the rest of it, and he would have heard the stories of, Cars going through spectators and coming into the pit areas and fingers being in the vents. <laughs> you know, pe- Lovely. People thought it, especially in Spain, they thought it was the charging of the bull. You know, it was a rite of passage to touch the cars that flew by. Interesting, um, yeah. You're permanently the- touching it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's my take on Group B. I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, took something from it. Brilliant, thank you. No brother. I wonder if now... Obviously, back then, there wasn't the technology and 
camera technology and all this kind of stuff that you kind of had to go and watch the rally like right there yeah to be able to watch it but i wonder now with like drones and better cameras and stuff could you do it but make it safer that you could watch it's not the same atmosphere and stuff i kind of get that but you know like dakar like you can't go out and stand in the desert and watch the dakar rally but you can watch it on tv yeah you probably could you probably i wonder die. would that have been more of a solution i do you mean actually it, ban people from you know from just close from the, the roadside yeah. yeah that's probably the only way but you're really going to get out of it i think i was part of the thrill of it though the f- yeah no i get that Uh, the adrenaline rush yeah because like the three of us obviously we've all been there ourselves we're hearing rally and road racing on the bikes and there is something for be there right right at the edge (laughs) we're still doing it so why not our our fingers would be in the vents (laughs) yeah (laughs) teeth and everything before we go any further i'd like to mention our sponsor reload global as we mentioned at the start of the episode, Radio Global sponsored our face-off competition this month and Ronan Hickey received a goodie pack from them. They're an enthusiast-owned company who supply premium automotive apparel as well as accessories like garage banners, posters, stickers and air fresheners. They're Northern Ireland based and are an official stockist for 8380 Labs in the UK and Europe. Support the companies who support us, so check them out at Reload.Global. We'll move on then to listener questions as usual. Thanks again everybody for sending these in. We we enjoy we get a bit of a laugh and uh, we enjoy doing them so connor kick us off please so the first one then is that dot silver dot wagon he says social media a blessing and a curse these days what's your biggest pet peeve about it where do you start where do you start i've been threat i keep threatening to delete facebook i do the same and i can't quite bring myself to do it but maybe one of these days i will I, I have that FOMO. I got that FOMO. but <laughs> I use it for keeping contact with people. And that's the main yeah. reason I do have it. Anyone who follows me on it, like I don't post a massive amount. I think most of what I do is sharing this podcast on it. And the rest lurking. Um, Instagram. I use, it, I, I use it to wish people happy birthday and run Reload and dub shit. Basically, yeah. that's all I use Facebook for. <laughs> Marketing and advertising. Um, it really is, though. My whole Facebook feed now is just adverts yeah. and like people selling car parts and pyramid schemes basically yeah. <laughs> i quite enjoy community groups yeah community groups are very good and they're as close to forums ba- as what we can get yeah the banter from people who have little to be at sometimes very good I su- <laughs> uh, connor <laughs> are you, was that a dig at me was it no, no, that's Cumber, good. Cumber Resins Group's hilarious. <laughs> that's yeah. There's one called Bambridge Saints and Sinners, and it's supposed oh, to no be way. for. Um, that sounds like a baby, bikers club. It is. It's it's supposed to be for giving like shout outs to like local community and business who've done good or bad, and it's just a shit show. But like, oh, Facebook and Instagram have definitely killed forums, as we've said, and like the chances of coming back to forums is nil due to instant gratification. You know, you can post something and it's there right away and you're getting these likes and comments and things like that. But it's just something we're going to have to live with. It I is love good. Instagram. Instagram's great. Yeah. I didn't Instagram's like the latest fantastic. No, I don't like now that it doesn't show you the stuff you've already looked at. That really upsets me. Yeah, you're trying to find it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I can take or leave Facebook. Love Instagram. I've never got Twitter. I've I never, don't know how Twitter works. Never understood it at all. Twitter sucks donkey balls. There we go. Officially. <laughs> but uh, 
pet peeves. I mean, as we said, where do you start? Poor spelling and grammar, for one. Pet, fee- <laughs> pet peeves is influencers and people begging for stuff for nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, self-entitled bastards. But on, on the flip side of that there, if you want to send us anything, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an honest review. Um, yeah, no, it is good and bad. It brings a lot of people together. I think in the recent sort of, like, what do you call a political climate with what's going on around the world it's divided a lot of people too and it's just it's polarized so just to- polarization it is yeah and it's very toxic at times and then at the same time within the car community it brings so many people together the likes of what nigel do you run the reload um face-off competition yeah like you know i brought a lot of people together with a lot of people messaging and even competitors messaging between themselves and shit talking that kind of thing you know so better banter better banter it's good and bad um, our next one, Ronan underscore hates 21. He says, at what stage does a rogue car become not a rogue car asking for a friend? Rule cage. Uh, have, you been, have you been talking to Ronan? No. no. Uh, yeah, well, say nothing. All right, got a rule cage then. Congratulations, Ronan. Indeed. Um, Ronan again, is the retro car market finally fucked? I don't think it's finally fucked. I think no. it's been fucked for a while. <laughs> I think it's one of those things. If you're a buyer, it's bad. If you're a seller, it's good. Unfortunately, I'm always the buyer because I don't sell the things. <laughs> R Fordo, he says, I have a Skoda like Lee. Do other road users ever think she's the place? All the time. All, yeah, all the time. I think it was the first driven run we went to. And I we- pulled out of a junction in front of jack hill yeah and he was like shit 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 slamming <laughs> on the brakes <laughs> yeah the polo slowed down five oh, five oh, run 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 <laughs> it's handy on the motorway well it's annoying on the motorway because people slow down in front of you however it's also good because then they tend to move out of your way and just let you go past it's pretty awesome speaking of david jack hill david underscore jack underscore hill he says does Nigel want to go round to at San Angelo's airport when things start to get back to normal? So Somebody's seen... getting a bit cocky now they've got their own road day. Uh. That's it, yeah. Man's got her set up. He would absolutely smoke me now. No way. <laughs> what did he get? Was it 315 horsepower in the polo? Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, so it's uh, that's, if you just remember, we talked about uh, two lockdown logs ago. I had interviewed him and it's such a cool wee car, so it's good to see it set up finally. Um, yeah, if, if my Crado was set up properly with standalone, I would race him, but I could race him anyway, I don't care, I don't give a toss, but uh, <laughs> I would love to see my Crado as full potential, but there you go. Yeah, I'll get there, get the G60 done first. Uh, well, that's only 12 years in the pipeline. That's good, in all 12 <laughs> years will be there. It, it and uh, my Polo will come out together. The FF Metalworks, he says, you guys are just lovely, and I tend to agree with him. Oh, yeah, we're fantastic. Thanks, Dennis. AJMVW, Andy Maxwell. He says, are driving aids in new cars spoiling the enjoyment of driving or adding to it? Yes. I think it's my answer. It depends on the driving aid. I think driver aids make people very lazy. And it depends on the type of driver too. Like, like yourself, Lee, if you're going down to Cork, you'll want all the driver aids you want to get to Cork, to get there comfortably. Yeah, by all means. But if you want to go racing, you want to be connected to the the tires on the road and feel the car turning you're putting the input in yeah so. i think the the thing with me is without blowing my own horn or whatever is i can drive because i learned to drive in a car that didn't have all of that stuff yeah and then i progressed to a car that 
does some of the stuff for you, but if it came down to it, I can still drive. Whereas if you grew up driving a car that drives for you, you don't really know how to drive. Yeah, you've you've very little chance. One thing for me was the um, is it the lane assist? You know, it it detects if oh. you're going out of your lane and things like that. It's gonna be sketchy. Yeah, and like they're talking about six points for mobile phone use. Why would you look at the road when you can look at your phone? Because the car's going to alert you if you're trying if you're going to go onto the other side of the road anyway. You know, things driver aids like that make me mad because it le- makes that's people the less is focused. When one of those goes down, as we know, electronic things are prone to do. Well, Boeing learned that, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Planes <laughs> dropping out of the sky. Yeah, so if it can happen then, why not manufacturers of cars? Jack Lee underscore Mark Two. He says guilty pleasure cars. Are we going to admit to any of these? All the cars that I like are cool. Because I like them. I doubt that. <laughs> tell us your guilty pleasure car. You tell us yours first. I think I've talked about it before. And it's not so much a guilty pleasure car. And more that they're a very popular car. But for a out and out confessed uh, Volkswagen kid. I have a massive Honda fetish. Especially for older like EFs and EGs. So while most people think they're cool. I shouldn't think they're cool, but I do. What about you, Ladies, Nigel? What about you? Nope. Oh, sorry. Ladies first, go ahead. Oh, I don't want to admit to this one, but... This is bad. Fuck it. Do you know what? I like it, so whatever. Uh, I like PT Cruisers. Oh, my goodness. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> Jared, no, I'm taking Lee off the mortgage. <laughs> that's, uh, that's shocking. I'm going to have to sit down a bit more here. It is. <laughs> Wait. Sorry, guys. Nigel, I'm moving in with you, and Lee can do remote. I feel like I need That's a support no problem. group. You're good at spinning. You're good at spinning. I'll, That's no bother. I'll be big spoon. <laughs> PT Cruisers Anonymous. Hello, I'm Lee, and I like PT Cruisers. <laughs> no one likes PT Cruisers. I don't Cruisers. care. I like them. I think they're cool. They look like a little like anthill mob car. I like them. <laughs> I think they're cool. You need to stop talking. <laughs> no, I'm going to have one someday. It's going to be lowered, all black, murdered. It's going to look cool as fuck. So fuck all y'all. I look forward to you proving us wrong. <laughs> I will. What about you, Nigel? Oh, uh, along the same lines as you, I'm a big fag head and all the rest of it, but I just love RX-7 FTs. Yeah, that's... I think they are just fantastic looking. And as I say, it's not really a guilty pleasure car in the general sense, but for ourselves who are supposed to be devout fag heads, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Let me see... This one's a statement rather than a question. Uh, Virgil Slammon, he says, Love you guys. Keep up the awesome content. Come to USA ASAP. Let's hang out. And that's on the cards. Oh, sounds like, thanks, Sounds like a plan. Yep. Yeah, we should have been there this week. I, pl- is... I really want to go to the American show yeah, next year. You have to do it with us. We'll do a podcast. Here, we could record some episodes in America, couldn't we? It could be a business trip. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Expensive. <laughs> Here. We can get away this year if it's a business trip. Oh, this is a work trip. Yep. We well, are. there we go. We're sorted. <laughs> Keep put the dinner on. Um, mm. Ian K. He says, do you have a go-to mod or anything that you do with all cars? I think we sort of covered this a few back, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. Mine's always lowering. Suspension. Good suspension. Yep. It makes the car. Good, good suspension. Step one, good suspension. Step two, nice wheels. Agreed. Trauma coating. Yeah, oh, that's very good. Yeah, Lee's a big fan of that. Um, Ian K again. He says, "How many neutral drops are you responsible for as a teenager?" I had to look this up, and I, I had to Google it also. Yeah, so it's something that doesn't really apply here because 
we all are uh, used to the man pedal, as they call it. And in, <laughs> obviously, America's full of uh, automatic cars, so it was basically revving the car in neutral and slamming it into drive to do a burnout. That's because we have things called corners in this country, isn't it? We do, yes. That's, <laughs> and we can take them. We, we know how to handle them. But uh, I suppose the equivalent for that for us is sitting in your 1.2 litre Nova, revving the shit out of it. Banging the clutch out. Banging the clutch out in first gear. <laughs> I've done that quite a bit. It's more of a skill to not stall it, though. Yeah. I would have felt, I would have felt wickified on neutral drops. I, uh, it's kind of that uh, mechanical uh, I sympathy no, I was, thing. I was no, yeah, there's that there, but I was no stranger to full, like a drive-by would be a thing I'd have been into. You know, flat out past somebody. Ah, uh, yes. Flat to the mat. No, I've never really done that revving thing. Now, I've seen... Plenty of Focus ASTs and Fiesta STs and Golf R's doing that carry on, but no, not for me. Carrying gearboxes and drive shafts to them. <laughs> um, do, you, do you remember years ago it used to be you could fiddle with your timing in the old carb cars and rev them, and then rev, 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 and then they banged? Yeah, yeah. It's like the old was a big thing. Poor man's anti lag or turning it off with the ignition yeah. switch. Yes, that's it, sorry. Fogel underscore O'Reilly 26. He says, best place for upholstery locally. It's only a small job on the rear seat of a 6N2 Polo. Um, I haven't I th- really had anything local done. Obviously, my interior was done by Optimus in Scotland. Have you guys had any local stuff done? Well, there's a rake in Balamina. There's Barn. But he doesn't do that anymore, I don't think. No, you have Blackline, who done the steering wheels for me there lately. He hasn't done an interior but he does do it but I mean if his, if Gavin can do an interior as well as those two wheels were done definitely had him up like Is there not a a woman in Newry that does trim? I think Matt Donnelly was talking about that a couple of years ago Well it could be Fogel actually is a friend of Matt Donnelly's son so he could maybe put him in contact with him but yeah. failing that I would definitely check out uh, Gavin at Blackline Performance James Doherty 95 Thoughts on Air versus Coilovers I have a wide body S4 and was thinking of going there. I currently have BC coilovers. I think we talked a bit about this last week when Andy Maxwell was messing in, giving us abuse. Yeah, yeah, Um, as usual. (laughs) You know, you can have the best coilovers you want. Are you able to drive to the ability that they are? You know, you're not going to outdrive a set of coilovers, your average person on the road. Again, I think, Lee, you talked about this. It depends what you want to do with the car. Yeah, it depends what you want it for. I mean, air is expensive, let's, but then a good set of coilovers can also be expensive. So it depends why you feel you need it or you want it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. If you just feel you want it so that you can tick the box to say air, wheels, interior, whatever, you know, that's not a reason to do it. But if it's because you live somewhere that has rough roads or... Speed ramps, or you don't want to wreck something, or you want to be able to drive lower and have the convenience when you need it. Yes, by all means. Or maybe you have the money and you like the look of it and you want to do a cool build or something. Yeah, that's fine as well. But depends on the car and and what you want to do with it. And if you're worrying about handling, good air will handle well. As long as a four way setup will always handle well. Just reiterate what Lee just said there. It depends what you're you're wanting it for. if you're wanting to drive like a maniac and focus on the track, then coilovers. But don't, don't get me wrong, a good suspens- air sp- kit suspension will, will do 90% of that for you. Like, Yeah, you'll, you'll have no issue with it. Irish Chris, he says, What's the one part for one of your builds that you've been chasing for a while but not got? Or what part would you be willing to break the bank over if it come up for sale nearby? And he says, in brackets, and before Stefan found it. Stefan likes to hunt out all the stuff. <laughs> um, 
my I have an answer right away for that, and I've already done it. I broke the bank for my yachting splitter for the Mark III. So the yachting splitters were like I think one year only on Italian Mark III estates, and one came up locally for sale. It was actually Paul Rooney was selling it in Castle Well. And I'd seen them for years, and they kept going up in price, and up in price. And this one came up; I think it was like three hundred and seventy-five pounds. And I was standing in the workshop looking at it, going, "If I don't buy that, I'm going to buy one when they get to five hundred pounds. So I may as well do it now. Yeah. Plus, I can actually drive and go and get it. But like that money for what a twenty-five plastic? Yeah, a twenty-five-year-old piece of plastic is absolutely mental. But it was one of those parts. Like, there's obviously more expensive things on the car, but in relation to what it was, that really broke the bank for me. Yeah. There's a set of seats that I've been after for years, which are probably not really that dear in the grand scheme of things, but I know when I first started looking at them, they're probably even dearer now than what the <laughs> what they were then. But I was like, oh my God, that's so much money for two front seats. And then you'd have to get the backs done to match or do something with the backs. that um, They're from a... Tell me, what are they from? RS2000, RS2000 Mark II. They're like black. Fish, they're a bit fishnet, like, fishnet ones, no? No. No, they're not. They're like a roll top. Kinda. They're like a club sport kind of looking. You can get kind of oh, replicas okay. of them, but they're not quite the same shape. And it's really this really distinctive shape and side profile and that you're the after. headdress and stuff on them that I really like. And all the kind of replica come you know, ones that look a bit like them. There's just something about them that's not quite right in the proportions and they just don't look as good. Um, and then Peyton got a set there recently for his, his escort. And I was just like, oh, they're the ones. Yeah. I just, I want them so much. They're probably the ones you were looking at. <laughs> yeah, they probably are. <laughs> what would you, Nigel? What would break the bank for you? Everything would break the bank for me at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your pockets aren't nervous. You like to buy nice stuff, don't you? Yeah, uh, there's many things, and I couldn't specify which one really. To be honest with you, yeah, that's. Uh, I would imagine with all well with the amount of project you have, your head's turned for a lot of stuff. <laughs> turned, t- turned round, round, round. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, S14 OCP Simon. He says, "How annoying is it to see a price at?" One, two, three, four. This drives me mental. <laughs> you see a car advertised well, in the price. If you look on John 44 and Facebook, it never happens on there. No, definitely not. And uh, our <laughs> listener and friend Tom Kennedy listed as B5A4 there for sale for one, two, three, four. So myself <laughs> he and... don't have to annoy you. <laughs> yeah, so myself and Richie Brown had a, a bit of slobbering session at him on the... Yeah. I think I commented saying, would you take one, two, three, zero for it? Because I haven't got the four pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Tom's banter on Facebook is excellent if you oh, follow. Yeah, he he's really knows how to put people down. It's great. Yeah. His screenshots <laughs> of conversations with ads is just epic. He just seems to attract assholes too, which is probably why I commented. <laughs> but, that, but it's because he's selling Facebook Marketplace. Simple as that. Yeah, you're going to get them. I love it's like that a car. Magnet. It's like a magnet, dark souls. It really is. And yeah, obviously on the fat fives. Yeah, it was cool. I see I see he's selling it for to get an S4. Yeah, I imagine. Big moves, big moves, I like it. That's it. It's another petrol guzzler for him. Yeah. Jakey underscore one nine five. He says, Did you ever expect to make it this far? I wonder, does he mean with a podcast or just life in general? <laughs> um My life expectancy. <laughs> what's the most illegal private road thing you've done on a car? And I am not touching that with a fifty foot barge pole. 
Oh, I'll touch it. You touch away because the most illegal thing I've ever done in a car would get me arrested, like literally on the spot. If I said what right, it was, okay. so I'm not saying it. So you far on. I, th- I think I mentioned it before. It was in the RS6, I was racing an M- M6 and a RS Cosworth. Down the back straight at uh, Kirkuson, the, wasn't it? The, pri- the private road just off the M5 towards Carrickfergus. Mm-hmm. And I think we're touching about 150 odd mile an hour. Mm-hmm. Covering ground, covering ground. In broad daylight, but it's all right because it's the wee private road to the side of the M- M5. Numbers starting so, with a 15. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Lee? Are you good or are you sensible? I'm always sensible. Yeah, hold on. You have your bike test. <laughs> uh, I'm admitting nothing. Nope, saying nothing. Yep. I'm saying nothing. But no, in answer to his first question, I don't think I really did think I would make it this far. In life? In life. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I remember a yeah. friend of mine telling me when I turned, I think I turned 21, and she said to me, she's like, I actually thought you would die by the time you are 19. I was like, oh, thanks very much. You are like, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I wouldn't have been surprised, like. Yeah, um, you think back at some of the stupid things you've done, especially in cars, like, you just sort of go, yeah, how did we make it this far? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I grew up with a dad who is ten times worse than I am, and I was just encouraged to do stupid stuff, and, <laughs> like, I rallied when I was younger, I had off-road bikes, quads, trikes, and it was just the most ridiculous things you could do was encouraged. I've got so yeah. sensible in my old age. I go out on the bike now and I get a scare. That's me done for the day. Done. Like I can't even I can't even ride the bike anymore. I just you know when you get tense and you just you just I might as well just go home because that's it. The day is done. Mortality creeps in. Yeah. Yep. You start thinking about I wonder is that bolt tight or I wonder <laughs> you know what well, imagine what would happen if you know something went wrong at this speed. I laugh though because you <laughs> Whereas when you were 17 you didn't give a fuck no but you always you look at me and you're like oh you despaired some of the stupid stuff that i do but i was 10 times worse 10 years ago oh, like. no. another one then jazz underscore monkey he says biggest pothole you've ever encountered and there's a story behind this one because he happened to be driving near our house and he sent me a photograph i think he actually sent me a message saying did a did, did a meteorite hit your road and yeah, we talked about the pothole in the last episode. On the episode. last one. The, it the is meteorite fucking enormous, road. by the way. This is the one we said that actually burst the tractor tire. Um, Holy smokes. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts, this thing. I have I took photographs of it and need to report it because someone's going to disappear into it. I I worry you're sort of coming up a hill onto it and you don't really see it. So like, if you were coming along there and a motorbike and hit that, you're going to get thrown off. It's not as big as the pothole, though, and the the big sewer road is a highway one. No, collapsed it's into not the sea. quite that big, but it's it's pretty <laughs> fucking big. Um, I think I think the biggest one I ever seen was. Uh, do you remember the real bad winter? Was it two thousand sixteen? There was one two thousand. Oh yeah, yeah. There was one two thousand and ten or eleven. Then yeah, but two thousand sixteen or seventeen was a bad winter as well. well. The, the roads got absolutely decimated over the height of that after it thawed out, and. Uh, there was this massive pothole in the road out of Cumber, and I don't know if a, a couple of lorries went over it or what, but it just completely collapsed. And I think there was fifteen cars, uh, wrecked their suspension, alloys, and tires going over it in Ooh, one lovely. afternoon. The police yeah. had to set up a barrier around it. No, oh nice, that's that's so. bad. It's not too often you see that, but then once you do, it usually takes out a few cars. Yeah. Um, Clark C L R. Join us next week on Pothole Watch. <laughs> Pothole Watch. <laughs> it's like Badger Watch. Um, if Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles never existed, what manufacturer would you drive? 
I started Ford, out Ford. in Ford. I started out in yeah. Vauxhall, so I probably would have stuck with that. I was gr- brought up in a Ford household, so that's probably what way I would have been steered, I'm sure. You disappointed the family? <laughs> I think everybody knows my answer would be Vauxhall. So. Well, Clark did follow up and say a question was really only aimed at Connor and Nigel, because I assume Lee chooses Vauxhall for all the Novas. <laughs> Preemptive strike by my Clark man. there. <laughs> um, and lastly, we have Nathan Quinn, 93. He says, are used VAG cars really only broken in at 200,000 miles or NI sellers just chancers? Yeah, if the diesel are only broken about there, yeah. There's one of the NI sellers there, Chancellor <laughs> Arm. Here's a, here's a statement. Going back 20 years ago, yes, but modern Volkswagens now, no. Yeah, I probably They're- would agree with you. Over 100,000, you're in the downhill slope with a Volkswagen now. Yeah, They're not you, built the same. Mark II, Mark III, B5, you know, those TDI cars will do 200, 300,000 comfortably. And en- interstellar miles and laugh at you. Yeah. And now they've just become, I think it's... it's what did not, Andy say that Audi his has on it? It's ridiculous miles, isn't it? The big one? The big 200? I think so. I know. Do you know, Nigel? I can't remember offhand, to be honest with you. I think it was that one. It has ridiculous miles on it and it's going like a watch. They'll take it, but I think it's the manufacturer's throttle by like, well, obviously margins and they want you to, they don't want you buying one car to last you 20 years. They want you buying four or five cars in that 20 years. Planned obsolescence. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that you have so much going on now with emissions controls, it is very difficult to do it. And then there's also, there's that much technology in a car now. You do get a car that's maybe eight or nine year old. You need a mortgage to fix it. Exactly, yeah. No, it's it's one of those things you sort of, you're always waiting for the shoe to fall. Like. That's us then. That's us for the questions. Thanks very much for the presents. Presents? What am I talking about? <laughs> Happy Christmas. Happy, Happy Christmas and Easter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd think I've been drinking. Oh, well. Probably have. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Bottles of water. Bottles of water. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for the questions once again. Great to get... Uh, Listeners involved and all that, Carol. Yeah, thanks again, everybody, for listening and contributing the questions and everybody who was involved in voting on the the face-off and everybody who's followed us and all that good stuff. What's the the lockdown logs as well? And the lockdown logs, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we'll sign off. Anybody who doesn't already follow us, please do. Uh, collectively at Reload Podcast. My Instagram is at MaxwellHouse46. I'm at Connor McCann. And I'm at V-Dub Boy. Cheers, everybody. See you again soon. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye.